Good morning. I'm a single parent this morning, so if you see Emmy's hair, just know I try my best. I try my best. <laughs> but we are a family, and we can forgive and, and move on. And, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, a question to kind of think about. Is church something we consume but don't assume in our life? And by assume, I mean take or begin to have responsibility of. Do we take responsibility for what we learn and what our function is in Christ's church? Just something to think about. But like I said, it is so nice to see everyone this morning. It's a blessing to be a part of God's body and to be able to not just worship, but actively worship with one another. We're going to be in three main passages this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 25 to start with, Matthew 25. And if you have some markers, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 and the book of Haggai. 1 Corinthians 12 and the book of Haggai. You're going to want to mark those passages. But like I said, it's such a blessing to worship together, to worship our Creator as a family and as one body. Consumerism. Let's talk about consumerism. What does it mean to consume? According to the Webster Dictionary, to consume is to spend wastefully, to enjoy avidly, to engage fully, to waste or burn away. This is the idea of using up something. You've probably heard it said. We are what we eat. Well, that same principle applies when we consume. We are what we consume. The question is, what are we consuming? Adam Sims, he gave a great devo the, the other day. He talked about advertisements and how we can get lost in those advertisements and how it's almost impossible to escape all these advertisements in our life. You open our laptop, our phone, drive down the street, there's advertisement after advertisement after advertisement. And they're all asking us to do one thing, to consume their product, their service. And that's where this idea of consumerism comes from. So we have to ask the question. We have to ask, is this how we are viewing worship when we come together as a church? Where all we do is we consume and we consume and we consume, and before you know it, we have a closet full of shoes we never wear. Paige and I are both guilty of that. Or on a deeper level, we consume, we consume, we consume, and yeah, we have a lot of Bible knowledge, but we don't have any action to back it up in our life. 1 John 2.16 tells us this, reminds us, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's not a bad thing to consume by itself. We have to consume something. We as humans, we consume a lot. The question is, is what we're consuming righteous? Is what we're consuming good and acceptable, perfect things? What is the will for God in our life? What is God's will for us in our life? A great time to consume is when we are together as a church, worshiping God, consuming his word, consuming the love that we have for one another. But even that, even that can be in vain when we're just storing it up for ourselves. There's two types of consumption. There's physical consumption and there's spiritual consumption. Spiritual consumption is super important. Spiritual consumption is when we consume things like his word and his love and the connections that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. And like I said, a great place to do that is when we're, as we are now, worshiping God, our creator. 
It's a great starting place for growth and to get the tools that we need for growth and to be effective disciples. But if we never move past that spiritual consumption and we don't actually use what we consume, what good is that? What good is that? Let's turn to Matthew 25 if you have your Bibles there. We're going to look at the parable of the talents for a second. This is a popular parable of Jesus. I want you to notice in this story, the master gives his servants something to consume, if you will. I want you to pay attention to how they use what their master gives them. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. Stop right there. These two servants are good. You see that what they're doing is good. They're consuming what their master gave them, and they're applying that to action. Now look at that third servant, because this is a perfect picture of dangerous consumerism, where we consume and consume for ourselves. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and what? Dug in the ground and hid his master's money. How often do we come to worship and we spiritually consume what we want, and then we go bury what we consumed right in the ground. This morning is simply just a friendly reminder to be active and connected members of Christ's body because Christ wants an active and connected body. I look here at Milwaukee, at this family, and we see that. We see that. People see that. And this morning, when we go through our study Let's be a reminder to keep steadfast, to keep that going and keep that alive. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. I know we throw these terms out around a lot. Church, body, kingdom. And for some of us, we don't always know what they mean. Some of us might know very well what they mean. We might have grown up in the church hearing these things, but we, some of us just have no idea. Because our culture can tell us a different thing. Our culture has a different idea. Our culture, for example, will say that the church is a place to go to. Well, the church is not necessarily a place to go to. When we describe or look at the church in that way, we really diminish the importance the people of God have as a single unit. The church is not necessarily a place to go to, but rather it describes a gathering of God's people, a family Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul describes here the people of God, his church, the Christ body. And understand, Jesus is the head of this body. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When we're trapped into, you know, consumerism and all we think about is consuming, we lose sight of the foundation and the purpose of Christ's church. When we go to worship only to consume, we don't think of the body as what? Verse 12, many members because we're only thinking of ourselves. And Paul corrects this thinking. Continue reading with me, verse 14. It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many 
Continue with 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in his body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I love the imagery here by Paul. He describes in a beautiful way, and sometimes in a funny way, not just what the body may look like, consisting of more than one member, but how it's meant to function. Everyone has their part, and everyone represents a different part of that body. Look at verse 15. Paul describes members as being feet and hands, and in verse 16, as ears and eyes. Body parts are not there just to look pretty. They have a function. They're not meant to do nothing. Each body part was created by God for a purpose. It consumes what it needs, and then it functions off that information to assist the body in being healthy and productive. Let me give you an analogy. We just look at our own physical bodies for a second. Look at our bodies. We know our bodies. Is it healthy to stay stationary? Is it healthy? Did God create us to sit and to never move? They say sitting is the new smoking, right? And so in turn, you could say it's motion is lotion. We physically are meant to be mobile. We're meant to be active, to use our bodies. Being active is going to create, naturally, a healthy body. But in order to do that, we need to do what? We need to consume the right stuff. We need to be eating right and using the nutrients from what we eat as fuel and energy. Now, what happens, though, when we consume and we do absolutely nothing? What happens to the body when we sit and we don't move? Well, our bodies become unhealthy and in turn we become ineffective in our, our daily living. We got, you guys know this. We are members of Christ's body. And we as a piece of that body have a duty to make sure that it is healthy. And in order for his body, the church, to be healthy, God wants an active body. Jesus wants body parts and members that are going to function and work together using what it has consumed, the righteousness that it has consumed. No one wants to be part of a dying body. We want to be a part of a healthy, vibrant, active body that's going to make a change in the world, a body that's going to help save souls, to share his message, and to be an image of love. Look at verse 18. This is so encouraging. What does it say there? It says, as he chose. God chose us to be the functional parts of the body that we are. But if we are body parts that are only consuming and consuming and doing nothing, how different are we from the wicked servant that dug his talent in the ground? Matthew 25, 26, that master said, you wicked and slothful servant. Let's not be that. We need to be the active members that God calls us to be. Let's turn to a small book called Haggai. small book called Haggai. It's going to be found on page 941 of that Red Pew Bible in front of you. Book of Haggai. It's going to be the third to last book of the Old Testament. It's a small book, small book, but it is so crucial to the Bible and the message of the Bible. Haggai, just a little backstory, is a prophet of God here to these people at this time, to God's people. And they've returned 
from exile to the ruins of Judah and Jerusalem, the Persian exile. And God has blessed this generation. They seem to want to do what is good, but unfortunately, they have their priorities a little mixed up. Their main purpose for coming back is to work together and to rebuild God's temple. But look at what they're doing, starting in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest. Thus says the Lord, these, the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, that's God's house, lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Look at verse 6 there. You have sown much and harvested little. Consumed much, but what have they acted on? Continue reading. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You see the heart of these people here? They consume God's gift and blessing, but all the while God's house lies in ruin. And what are they doing? Look at verse 4. They're dwelling in their paneled houses. They're consuming for themselves. They're spending their time and their resources on their own pleasure. And they're not acting and feeling the way they should be, the way we, as Christ's body, should be. It's easy to come to worship on Sunday, to eat, as it says there in verse 6. And then what happens if we continue reading? We never have enough. Same thing happens to us. We drink, but we're not filled, verse 6. And our effectiveness to be disciples is like the wages at the end of that verse, and it just falls through the holes at the bottom of that bag. We come together on Sunday. We hear God's word. We feel the love and the encouragement from brothers and sisters. But if we go home and our faith lies in ruins, it's because... It's because we are busying ourselves with our own houses. Look at verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruin, while each of you busies himself with his own house. If we consume godliness, are we filling our life with God's will? Is he the reason for our fulfillment and our motivation If we are members of Christ's body and we have a functional part to play, then we need to be, as it says in verse 5 and 7, considering our ways. We need to be making sure we're not just consuming, but we're being active. Now there's a key here. There's a part missing from being just active members and being an active church. Look at Haggai verse 14. Haggai 1.14. God delivers, you know, Uh, Sorry, Haggai delivers to God's people this motivating, encouraging message, and they work together. They stay on task with verse 14. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, Joshua, the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You see how they're being active there? They're working together. However, the morale only lasts so long before a portion of God's people become disappointed. Look at Haggai 2, next chapter, verse 3. Haggai asks a couple questions to these people here. He says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Haggai 2, 3. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? 
See, the older generation are disappointed that the temple isn't as grand and as magnificent as the temple they saw in their day, the temple of King Solomon, that was destroyed because of their unfaithfulness. The church will see increase and decrease. It will see good times and bad times. It will see and experience peace and challenges. We all grow. We all have a different starting point. But the key is that we grow from where, from that point forward. And in this text, what we see is this older generation and this younger generation is a little of a disconnect. They're working together, but both of them are feeling something different. The younger generation are excited, but the older generation, they're just a little disappointed. The church, Christ's body, is made up, we have to realize this, of different people with different experiences and different backgrounds. I'll give you an example. I remember when I was in Florida. I was hanging out with Caleb and his friends. We're having a good old time. We're laughing and talking and everything's good. And we're walking up to this coffee shop. And I notice from a distance that there's this, there's this lady sitting at a table and she's crying. She's wiping tears from her eyes. And I realized then, it just hit me. I realized oh, someone's not having a good time when I'm having a good time. It reminded me that different people feel different things at different times. Not everyone's going to be happy when I'm happy. Not everyone is going to be laughing. You know, it will be maybe, maybe they'll be laughing when I'm weeping. It's different. The point is, God doesn't only want to see an active family. God wants to see a connected family. A family that knows one another. A family that is involved in each other's lives. Continue reading with me these encouraging words. Haggai 2 verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. We have a God who is with us. Look at there, verse 4. For I am with you, he says. Why? Because we're with God. When we are baptized, we put on Christ. And since we're connected with God and have a relationship with our Creator, that should motivate us to want to connect with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Three times in verse 4, it says what? Be strong, be strong, be strong. And then at the end of verse 5, it says, Fear not. A strong church, a strong family, is one that is connected with each other. One that knows each other. A strong family is one that loves each other, and more importantly, loves God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Look at what the, Paul says about the body here. The rest of what Paul says. Verse 21. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have, listen to that, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Moments ago, we looked at the body and how it's meant to be active, and how each part has a function. And as functional body parts, we need to be acting on what, the righteousness that we consume. But more importantly, however, we need to be a connected body, a connected family. Because a connected family is going to create an active family. We must work together. The eyes and the ears have to communicate with each other. We have to work together. But what happens when we get trapped in that dangerous consumerism and all we're doing is we're consuming? We come to worship, consume what we need, we go home and we walk right past our brothers and sisters. I want to encourage you this morning to take the time to get to know the person next to you, the person that shares the same air with you and perhaps the same goal of getting to Jesus. We are not just a church. We are a church family. A family that makes up the body of Christ. And this is a body that God has so composed. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. Are we killing what God has composed with dangerous consumerism and no action? Are we being active members of Christ's body, working together? Are we staying connected so as to be active members and not create division, as it says there in verse 25? People here at Milwaukee, people see that we are active and we are connected. They see that love. They want to be a part of that. And we stand apart in that way. And this morning, I want us to encourage us to keep that up. We're growing. We love seeing that growth. We want to continue seeing that growth. But as we grow, sometimes we forget to stay active and connected. Let's remember as we grow to stay active and connected. But more importantly, let's not forget a part that can be missed. That Jesus is the head of that body. Colossians 1.18. Kyle read from Colossians 1.18 this morning a few moments ago. He said, and he is the head, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Look at our own bodies again. For example, why does our arm move the way it wants to? Why can I press this button and it does what I want it to? Because our brain, my brain, tells it to. It sends electrical currents or electrical signals to that muscle and it moves the way I want it to. If Christ is the head and he's the brain, then we need to be moving as Jesus tells us to. We are all connected to him and we move and we function as a unit the way he tells us through his word. Jesus wants people to see a functional, healthy, proactive body, not a dysfunctional body. As we close, look at our last passage here, the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Haggai was encouraging God's people to stay motivated, and he gave this prophecy. Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. 
I will shake all nations so that all the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He's prophesying about Jesus here. Jesus who did come and did shake all nations there in verse 7 with the purpose to save us from our sins. And when we realize that, it shakes our lives, it turns us inside out, and what is inside our heart is made new through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's in that newness of life that our souls can have peace because of the Prince of Peace, Jesus. If this is not you today, if you're not a part of his body, he wants you. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13? For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. God sees his members as important and necessary. And he wants you, like I said. And if you want to accept Jesus and be a part of that body, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, come forward now while we stand and we sing.